Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Vorse. Join us now for service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. Grab your Bible and we're going to get into the Word today. I, I want to just, this is just a small two-part series. Last week we talked on war on rest and today we're going to talk about uh, how to find rest. And I, I've kind of comically entitled this, You Deserve a Break Today. Uh, but we're going to talk about that today, okay? If you would, please pray with me. Father, we just come to you now in the name of Jesus. And God, I thank you so much for your love that you pour out upon us. I thank you for this church. I thank you for these wonderful people that are here and that call Lakewood home. And thank you, God, for putting a passion in us to let Jesus shine brightly in our community. May we win more people to Jesus. May we be faithful in discipling them. May we train them up and release them, Lord, to, to be soul-winning stations. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would touch me to, be, to effectively communicate this word today. I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would teach through me. We give you praise for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Touch your neighbor and tell them this. Say, rest is like mental floss. <laughs> I don't even want to know the word pictures that went through your mind right now. I don't. But rest is like mental flaws. Amen. Uh, before we get into the scriptures, and I do have quite a few of them that I want to share with you today, but before we get into the scriptures, I want to share with you a story that I shared with them in the first service about a, a time in my life many years ago. I was still a teenager, actually. I was about 19 years old. It was the first time that I had went to Jamaica. I'd received an invitation. I was actually in Toronto, Ontario, preaching at a minister's convention, believe, that or not, believe it or not, at 19 years old. I was just blown away. But I just really think that they had me preach because I was so young and they just wanted to see if, if I could do it. But <laughs> the Lord did it. And um, there was a pastor there by the name of Israel Miller and he pastored a church in Linstead, St. Catherine, Jamaica. And so he asked me if I would like to come to Jamaica. And I just said, does a cat have a climbing gear? I mean, yes, absolutely. I want to come to Jamaica. And so uh, the Lord opened that door. Went down there, we were having a tremendous revival. The power of God was moving. People were getting saved. People were getting healed. People were getting filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In one service, we had almost 300 people that received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Uh, they were doing voodoo down the street. They were trying to cast spells on us, and we just kept on just trusting God and believing God and going on and, and the Lord moving. One of those particular nights, I found out a long time ago that one of the times when I'm most vulnerable is right after a really powerful service. Because when the anointing begins to flow through a man of God and you guys come forward and we lay hands on you, there's a transfer of the anointing. There's a flow. We literally become the conduits of God's power. And God uses us to pour what's in heaven into the earth. And so we, in the process of that, uh, while it's happening, we feel strong and we're excited and all of that. But when the anointing begins to lift, all of a sudden we begin to realize, wait a minute, we're physical and we get really exhausted. And I found out a long time ago that that is probably one of the most vulnerable times that I can be. So I've learned to protect myself 
uh, after really strong services. Well, it was one of these particular times and I went into the, to the bedroom where I was staying by myself and I went into the bedroom and I laid down on the bed and I began to pray and all of a sudden this loneliness came over me and I just told the Lord, I said, Lord, I'm exhausted, I'm tired, I'm wore out, I'm lonely, I'm in a country where I didn't know anybody except for Brother Miller when I came over here. I have no family. If I, if I want to get to family, I have to get on a boat. I have to get on an airplane. I have to swim. I have to do something. Lord, how, why in the world did you... I mean, thank you for bringing me here, but I'm just exhausted. And so I'm just pouring my heart out to the Lord there, and I'm just laying there, and my eyes are closed. And the Lord spoke to me, and He said, I want you to open your eyes. And I opened my eyes, and I was laying on the bed, and I looked up, and the ceiling looked like liquid fire. And it just began to descend upon me, just slowly, just began to come down. And it came down, and it just came over the top of the bed and over top of me, and it just went down to the floor until it just all came down, and it looked like it just covered the entire floor and myself and all of that. And the Lord spoke to me, I got you covered. I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll always be with you. And I sensed the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord let me know that that was the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The Bible calls Him a comforter. That was like the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And over the next uh, few minutes there, I don't know how long it was, but it was just sweet communion with the Lord. And I dropped off to sleep and drifted off to sleep. And when I woke up the next morning, to this day I have to say, that was probably one of the most restful nights of sleep that I'd ever experienced in my life. God rested me. I was exhausted. I was tired. I was wore out. I was under attack from the enemy. We were seeing results, but I was under attack. What I found out in life is the time when we have the greatest results is the time when we have the greatest attacks. And so in a morbid kind of way, I almost welcome the attacks. I get tired of them, but I realize that most of the time it's through the war that we get the victory. And so you can't have a victory if you never fight a battle. You can't, you know, you can't uh, climb a mountain unless you first go through a valley. And so there's so many, so many different uh, ways to say this. God rested me, made me, He made me feel rested. In Exodus chapter 33, verses 12 through 17, we find a passage of Scripture. And what I want to do today is I want to talk to you about God resting you. Last week we talked about how that the enemy wants to exhaust you, how he wants to wear you out. This week we're going to talk about how we search for rest, how we find for rest, how we can acquire that rest. So there are six things that I want to talk to you about, seven uh, total that I'm going to talk to you about, but six things in particular that I want to talk to you about today about how do we find rest. And the first one is found in Exodus 33 verses 12 through 17. And it just simply says that we have to know that God is with us. If I, if I come to the knowledge that God is with me, no matter what I face, no matter where I go, no matter what I go through, no matter what trial I face or what trial I will face in the future, if I can come to that knowledge that no matter what happens, I know that God will be there, then that gives me a confidence, that gives me a rest. Here's what the Bible said in the New International Version. It says, Moses said to the Lord, Exodus 33, 12 through 17, 
Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, Lord, lead these people. But you've not let me know who you will send with me. You've told me this. You've said, Lord, you've said, I know you by name, and you found favor with me. So in other words, he said, God, I know that you want me to lead these people. I know that you know me by name. I know that I have favor with you. And then he goes on, verse 13, he says, If you're pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. And then, and, and then I also want you to remember this, God, that this nation belongs to you. This nation is your people. So Moses was basically what he was saying was, Lord, uh, lead these people. Lord, I know that you know my name. Lord, I know that I have favor with you. Lord, I want to learn you. I want to learn your ways. I want to learn how to remain in that favor. But in the process of all of this, God, you're going to have to lead these people because I can have all the favor, I can have all the identity, I have all of these kinds of things, and it's still going to take a whole lot more than me to be able to lead these people. So God, this is your nation. These are your people. Some of you need to hear that today. Some of you need to hear that the battle is not yours, that it's the Lord's. Some of you need to hear that what you're going through and what you're facing will not last forever, that there is an end to every battle. But instead of trying to fight it for yourself, you need to say, you know what? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Some of you need to hear that that sickness that you're in that the enemy has said is going to take you is not a sickness unto death, but it's a sickness that will one day dissipate because of the power of God that's inside of you. There's some of you today that are in a financial struggle like we all have been at different times in our lives. And you need to understand that this too shall pass as long as we remain faithful and trust the Lord. God is with us. So then we go on here and the Lord replied to Moses and he said, he said, my presence shall go with you. And then look what he says, and I will give you rest. I'll give you repose. I'll cause you to relax. Relax. I'll cause you to chill out. I'll give you rest, Moses. I'll go with you and I'll give you rest. Now, now, when we look at this scripture, we have to go back up. And Moses said, Lord, you asked me to lead this people, but you didn't tell me who was going to go with me. And here God was saying, I'm going to go with you. So you're going to lead this people. I know your name. You have favor. I'm going to teach you my ways. And I'm going to go with you. And because I'm going with you, I'm going to give you rest. Think about that. Times of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. Then Moses said to him, If your presence doesn't go with us, do not send me up here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? What Moses was saying was, Your presence is the thing that will distinguish us from all the other people on the face of the earth. Let me submit to you today that the presence of God is what distinguishes the Christian from all of the other people on the face of the earth. God said He would go with us. God said He would strengthen us. God said that He would be with us and never leave us, that He would go with us to the ends of the earth. And so what we have to do is we have to say, you know what, God? I'm going to go with your presence, and your presence is going to go with me. And the presence 
of the Lord is what's going to identify us to the people on the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you ask because I'm pleased with you and I know you by your name. One of the things that we can learn here when we know that God is with us, we can learn that God is always watching over us. He's always there. He's always watching. My mother used to tell me all the time, she used that truth as a weapon. She would say, Johnny, I might not be able to see, but I can because I've got an eye in the back of my head. That's what she used to tell me. And I believed it till I was about six or seven. But she would tell me there's an all-seeing eye watching you. So you better behave yourself, boy. You better be good. And you know what? I believed her. Because there were times that I thought I got away with things and you know what? God ratted me out. He told my mother on me. He was a tattletale. He told my mother on me. But God's always watching over us. Psalms 33 verses 11 through 15 says this, But the plans of the Lord, I love this, stand firm forever. The purposes of His heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people He chose for His inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From His dwelling place He watches all who live on the earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything that they do. So the Bible says that God watches over us. And we can find great comfort in the fact that God watches us. In Psalms 4 and verse number 8, the Bible says, In peace... I will lie down and sleep for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. So, Lord, I'm going to lay down and sleep in the presence of my enemies. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I don't have to worry. I don't have to fret. Fret not yourself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. The Bible said, For they shall soon be cut off as the branch and wither as the green herb. Those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. We have got to learn to understand that God is with us no matter whether we feel like He's there or not. Some people say to me, and I've I've heard this in counseling at times, they've said to me, and I think it's a legitimate question. They would say to me, they'd say, well, if God is with me, then how come He don't do something? I'm going to say something here that's going to mess your religion all up. You ready? Because God doesn't respond to need. God responds to faith. Boom. Just blew religion right up, didn't we? God doesn't respond to need. He responds to faith. The Bible said that the just shall live by faith. The Bible also says that God will perfect the things that concern us. But the way that God perfects things that concern us is by faith. And so we've got to learn to live by faith 
even in the most difficult. In fact, that's when we need to live by faith more than we've ever lived by faith. It takes a whole lot more faith to trust God and to believe God in the down times. Anybody can shout when things are going good. Anybody can shout when the doctor's report was good. Anybody can shout when there's a brand new job and everything's going to be okay and wonderful and great. But you let that doctor report come in bad. You let a pink slip start floating around that's got your name on it. You let let life start coming apart and see what happens. The Bible still says that the just shall live by faith. And so we have to understand that God responds to faith. God does not respond to need. Well, then how does he meet my need? By faith. By faith. I'm getting off on a rabbit trail here. Second thing that we need to do. Second thing that we need to do if we're going to find rest. The second thing, not not only do do we need to know that God is with us, but the second thing that we need to do is we need to trust in the promises of the Lord. Trust in the promises of the Lord. The Bible says in Psalms 37, beginning in verse number 3, it says, Trust in the Lord and do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. First of all, the Bible doesn't just say, Trust in the Lord, and verily thou shalt dwell in the land and be fed. The Bible says, Trust in the Lord and do good. And do good. So it takes more than mental assent. It also takes faith activity. So when the Bible says to trust in the Lord and do good, then the promise of that is so shall I dwell in the land and verily I shall be fed. That means that I need to have the mentality of trying to bless people. So when I get up in the morning, I don't say, Lord, uh, can you bless me today? Can you bless me today? I get up in the morning and I say, Lord, who can I be a blessing to today? Lord, who can I give a smile to today? Who can I give a hug to today, Lord? Who can I lift up today, Lord? Who, you know, it, put somebody in my path today, if, if, if you're in a place where you can, put somebody in my path today, Lord, I, where I can buy their coffee. You know, I mean, Lord, just, just, Lord, I want to be a blessing. It's a different level of faith. It's a different level of living to get to the point where you live to be a blessing rather than living to be blessed. And let me tell you something, when you get to the point where you live to be a blessing, Abraham was blessed because he was a blessing. He wasn't blessing because he was blessed. He was blessed because he was a blessing. It's not a play on words. It's, it, it's a principle. It's a faith principle that we can all live by. He was a blessing because he was blessed. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. I shared in the first service, I shared a a little story about our second, actually no, it was our first church in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. We were pastoring there. We went there. We were in a little storefront. The Lord blessed us. We were able to get out of the storefront and buy a Methodist church across town. We went into this Methodist church across town and it was a beautiful facility and had a, a, a cafeteria with it, 13, uh, 13 uh, Sunday school rooms, four offices, uh, uh, had a uh, parsonage next door, four-bedroom four parsonage next door with a full basement. It was a, it was a nice, nice little setup. The problem was for the people that sold it, it was in the wrong part of town. For us, we saw it as the right part of town, but they thought it was in the wrong part. Of town, so we got over there and we bought that. That and just let me tell you very quickly the story. It's it's a faith story. There's a lot of I've got a lot of these, <laughs> but um, we went over there. I talked to the to the people. We walked in there and uh, I asked uh, the guy. I said, "How much are you asking for this?" And I had a little 
little Century 21 agent with me. She was in the Million Dollar Club. She stood about that tall, and her name was Bertie Raider. She was an older lady. And so we're over here talking to this guy, and I said, how much do you need for this property? Now, you have to understand this is back in the early 90s. And uh, he said, well, we need $900,000 for this property. I said, "Woo." He said, okay, and that was a lot of money back then for, you know, I mean, we didn't have a whole lot of people. We had just been there about six months, and we were probably running, what, maybe 40 or 50 by that time or something in that little storefront. We got there. There was less than 20 people, but there was about 40 or 50 by that time, kind of what's happened here. And so um, he looked at me, and he said, well, he said, um, can you make me an offer? And I said, let me talk to Bertie. So I talked to Bertie Rader, and I told her, I said, offer him $120,000. And she said, you're kidding me. I said, no, I'm not kidding. She, she looked at me, 26-year-old strapping young man, you know, bless God, God's going to do this and everything. And I can tell she did it just because she thought it was going to be entertaining. <laughs> and, so, uh, and so I said, yeah. I said, just offer them $120,000. Well, uh, they kind of laughed us out, you know, kind of laughed us out of the office. We went out of the office and all of that, and we waited for about six months. About six months later, we get this phone call. I told him, when you get ready to sell it, call me. And so uh, about six months later, they called, and we went over there, and uh, he said, are you still interested in this property? I said, yes, sir. And um, he said, well, he said, uh, um, are you still willing to give $120,000 for it? I said, no, sir. And he said, how come? I said, because I've had to wait for six months. And I said, I've had to be paying lease and all this kind of stuff. And this is God's money. I said, I'll give you 110. And he said, we'll take it. <laughs> Amen. So um, there's more stories to that. We had to sell uh, a little piece of property that the church owned and and that little piece of property was the key to us buying this one, and then, then, then them buying, then us buying this one was the key to that other buying. So Bertie was working really, really hard. She was like, whoa, you know, she couldn't hardly believe that. Uh, but anyways, bottom line is we got to closing, and we're sitting there at closing, and uh, I needed uh, $18,000 uh, to, you know, to, to put in for the closing, and all of that we're sitting there at the Commerce Bank, and, and uh, our state overseer was there and, and a couple of the guys from the state office and we're sitting there and we had a little bit of money there because we'd sold the other piece of property in. And um, so I was getting ready to give them the money and the overseer reached over, tapped me on the arm. He said, Jonathan, he said, the state council talked about this. He said, this has got to be the best business transaction that the state of Missouri has ever experienced and we want to pay the down payment. And I watched $18,000 go right across in front of me on the table and they took care of that. And the Lord gave us that piece of property. Okay. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. In that piece of property, we were there one day when the door, somebody knocked on the door and it was a lady down the street that uh, she came there and she needed some food for her family. And I watched my wife. I was 26 years old and Donna was quite a bit younger then. She looks a lot younger than... She was a lot younger then. And she was, uh, there's no way I can get out of this. Okay. But anyways, I watched her. I watched her take this lady into our home. I watched her go to the pantry and take food out of our cupboards. And, and I watched the tears come down this lady's face as she gave her food to feed her babies. Now, I think the reason that Donna has such a heart for this kind of ministry and she still does it with pack a sack today and di different things here in our community. 
is because there are times in our life when we didn't have anything, when our cupboards were bare, and we learned how to trust God. We learned how to live for God. We learned, you know, and all of that. But through that act of kindness, I'm talking about doing good. Through that act of kindness, God saved this lady, then saved her boyfriend who they were living together, then they got married, and unbeknownst to us, they were connected to the leaders of the drug culture in that community, and we started seeing people come in who were involved in the drug culture and giving their life to Christ. And then one day my phone rings, and across the Mississippi River there was a gentleman's club. And my phone rings, and, and we had won the guy that owns the gentleman's club. We'd won his son to the Lord, and he was showing up to church in his Cadillac and his limousines and all. He didn't know anything. You know, the thing about it is a lot of times we think when people give their life to Christ that they immediately know, you know, what we know after 30 years or 40 years. Newborn baby Christians are so refreshing because they don't know, they don't have to unlearn religion. You know, they just have found this love that they never experienced before. And so, and so they were excited. And so he, he was like that. In fact, he told me, he said, if you ever want to take your wife out, he said, um, I'll bring my limousine over. And he said, uh, we won't have the driver. I'll drive it. He said, you just tell me what kind of wine and stuff you want in the back of it, and I'll make sure it's there for you guys. I said... I said, Dave, we, we, don't, we don't do that. We don't, but, you know, but thank you anyway. Thank you anyway. And then he told me, he said, well, you can come on over you know, to the club. He said, come into the back. We serve good steaks there. I said, I'm not going in that club, Dave. I'm just not, not going to do it, man. Not going to do it. But the point, the point is, is, is God saved him, and, and there were some transitions and things that took place there, and, and, and he was out of that. But his father, here's the point I want to make. His father, who had been the owner of that club for years and years and years was dying. And Dave called me and he said, my dad's over here and he wants to meet you. He said he's so weak that he can't get up out of his chair, but he wants to talk to you about giving his life to Christ. So I got in my car and I drove across the Mississippi River to the home of a man that owned a gentleman's club and led him to Jesus three days before he died all because several months earlier there was a knock on the door that said, can you help me feed my babies? Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. Then the Bible says to delight thyself also in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart to commit your way unto the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. So when we find this passage here, when we talk about trusting in the Lord's promises, there are three things there. We've got to trust him, we've got to delight in him, and we have to commit our way unto the Lord. Now look at the promise that we get from that. It says, and when you do this, he'll bring forth your righteousness as the light and your Judgment as the noonday. Now, judgment is good as long as you're on the right side of it. And so he'll bring forth my judgment as the noonday. And then verse number 7, our subject today, it says, Rest in the Lord. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger. Forsake wrath. 
Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil, for evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. It takes too much energy to be angry all the time. Cease from anger. Forsake wrath. Don't fret. Just rest. Number three have a clearer understanding of Scripture. If I'm going to find rest, then I have to know that God is always with me, number one. Number two, I have to trust in the promises of the Lord and trust in the Word of the Lord. And then number three, I need to have a clearer understanding of the Scripture. Now, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.15, to study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. Now, he wouldn't have put it there if he didn't want us to pay attention to it. There are a lot of people today that are living under undue duress because of the misinterpretation of Scripture. I'm going to give you three examples. There are a lot of them. But I'm going to give you three examples that will just get you to thinking. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse number 31, the Bible says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Now, it's been taught and preached for eons that that word wait there means that we're supposed to just sit around and wait, just pray and wait, pray and wait. No, that word wait there in the Hebrew is translated like a waiter or a waitress. So those that wait upon the Lord, those that bless the Lord. David put it like this. He said, oh, bless the Lord with me. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And he said, oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. So what this scripture is telling me is when I get busy about things that are concerning to God and I bless the Lord by being involved in God activity, then the Bible said, I'll mount up with wings as eagles, run and not be weary, and I'll walk and not faint. Now that's just one scripture. Another one is this, Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 10. Here's what the Bible says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Now there's a lot of people there that take that scripture and they say, you know what, we're supposed to just suffer all the time. That's not what that scripture says. First of all, the Bible says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And this word, the understanding of this word right here, changes this whole scripture, especially when you study it in the contextual analysis of the scripture. Here's what it says. And the fellowship of his sufferings. That word fellowship is the Greek word koinonia, which means partnership. So what this scripture is saying is, I want to come in partnership with you because of my sufferings on Calvary. And when you talk about partnership, there's a, when you're in partnership with someone, then there is someone that gives and someone that receives. Jesus gave his life to give us abundant life. So when the Bible says the fellowship of his sufferings or the partnership of his sufferings, that means that I can get to know him and understand the power of his resurrection and come in partnership with him concerning his sufferings on Calvary being made conformable unto his death, which tells me that through that knowledge, I can position myself, get this, are you ready? To receive everything that Calvary paid for. Woo! I don't have to die because he did. 
I don't have to suffer because He did. I don't have to wear the guilt of my sin because He took that sin away and removed it as far as the east is from the west, remembers it against me no more. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Hallelujah. So I'm in partnership with Him. And I think it's offensive to God when we don't receive what He paid for and offers to us. Well, how do we receive it? By faith. We learn how to receive it by faith. Real quick, real quick. I know, I've talked about by faith a few times. Real quick, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. How do you build your faith? Faith cometh by, it's in the imperfect tense, which means the constant hearing of the Word of God. That means if I want my faith to grow, I have to protect my atmosphere and make sure that the atmosphere that I live is an atmosphere of the Word of God because I'm, an, I'm a product of the environment in which I, which I create. So if the environment that I create is an environment of worship, it's, if it's an environment of, of the Word, then my faith can grow. So the Bible said, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then the Bible says that faith works by love. That's where the enemy's always going to attack you. He's going to attack you in your love walk. He's going to try to get you at odds with other people because he knows if he can do that, he can stall out your faith. And if he can stall out your faith, he can stop the manifestation of God in your life. So that's what he does. He'll attack your love walk. And he'll try to get you at odds. And then faith works by love and then faith is activated by confession. You have to confess the Word of God over your situation so much that your flesh becomes surrendered to the Word of God. Okay, that was for free. All right, mm. John chapter 15 verses 1 and 2, having a clear understanding of the Scriptures. John chapter 15 verses 1 and 2. Jesus said, I'm the true vine and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch of me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. This Scripture troubled, troubled me for a really long time. I, was, I would pray prayers like, Lord, I don't want you to cut me off. Lord, I don't want you to take me away. Finally, one day, it was bothering me so much, I decided I'm going to really, really study this thing. And I found some amazing things out about this scripture where the Bible says every branch of me that beareth not fruit he taketh away now let me say this the people that were writing the New Testament were from the Middle East and so in order for us to better understand what they were trying to say then we have to understand their culture so one of the ways that we can understand the word of God better is to try to understand the culture of the day in which the scripture was written in the Middle East they have great big vineyards and this word taketh away, those two words right there, if you really, really study that out in the contextual analysis and the, and the Greek, if you really study that, it, it, it literally means, in, in the most simplified way that I can put it, that it's like if you had a grapevine and it was laying in the mud. You pick that grapevine up, put a trellis on it, and put the grapevine over top of the trellis, and you take it away from that which was trying to destroy it. 
So you take it away from that, you prop it up so it can reach toward the sun, and then we go on and every branch that beareth and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit. And that purging word there means to wash away the excess. So basically what this scripture was saying is every branch in me that bears not fruit, I'm going to help you so you can bear fruit. I'm going to pick you up out of the mud. I'm going to prop you up with the trellis called the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to prop you up. And then I'm going to wash away the things that hold you back. Lay aside every weight and sin that does so easily beset us and run with patience the race that God has set before us. So, so you see these things. And so he says, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to help you become a fruit-bearing Christian. This is the importance of having a clearer understanding of the Scriptures. And that only happens through study and through prayer and through personal time with the Lord. Any old person can open up the Word of God and find something to pound you over top of the head with and call it preaching or call it teaching. But there are so many things that we have been taught that if we really study it, I mean we really dig in and we really study it and we rightly divide the word of truth, we will find out that it means something totally different than what we have been taught. Isn't that amazing? All right. Number four, these, these next few will go quick. Number one, or number four, know that God has your back. Psalms 116, 5-9. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and He helped me. Return unto thy rest, O my soul. The seed of my mind, will and emotions. For the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. Therefore, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Always know that God has your back. It's resting, it's restful to know that God has your back. What does the Bible say? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I need Graham to help me for a minute. Come here, Graham. Come on, honey. Come on. I need you to help me. And I need Mama D to help me. Come on up here. Mama D. All right. All right. Your goodness. And God knows there's many times you've had to have mercy, so your mercy. I want to illustrate this, okay? For the spirit-filled child of God, y'all just stick to me like glue. You ready? The Bible says, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my... That means everywhere that I go, goodness and mercy, they just go there. They just follow me. Come on. Hallelujah. If the blind lead the blind, they both fall in the ditch. <laughs> Goodness and mercy. No, seriously, think about this. Think about this. Anywhere that you go, anywhere that you go, anywhere that I go, when I walk into a room, when I leave that room, when you leave that room, that room should be changed because of the presence of God that you carry with you. Goodness and mercy shall follow you. God always has your back. Now listen, either the Word of God is true or it's not. And I submit to you that it is. Okay? The only thing that can stop the goodness and the mercy from following is if I make them sit back down. Right? 
Goodness and mercy will follow you. You need to understand you carry God's goodness. You carry God's mercy with you. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're the recipient of God's goodness and God's mercy, although you are, but it also means that you carry those godly attributes with you and you put them into play every time you have a chance. That means you do good to other people. That means you show God's mercy to other people. That means you love your enemies. You do good to those that despitefully use you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely. This is what the Scriptures are teaching. So when we walk, goodness and mercy, they just follow with me. Oh, goodness gracious, can you all have a little bit of mercy, please, and go sit down. Thank you. Just... Just a simple illustration, but I wanted you to see it so you would remember it. Number five, to have rest, I need to walk in the ways of the Lord. That means I've got to pay attention to the Word of God. I've got to apply it to my life. Jeremiah 6.16, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient past. Ask where it's a good way and walk in it. Don't just observe it. Walk in it. And you will find Rest for your souls, but you said we will not walk in it. And then number six, and this is a biggie. This is a biggie. Find rest through fellowship, not hellowship. What do you mean, Pastor? Fellowship makes you leave feeling blessed. Hellowship makes you leave feeling deep. Fellowship is when people get together and they want to talk about the goodness of God and they want to talk about what the Lord is doing and they want to be positive. Hellowship is when you talk to people and they don't want to talk about God. They want to talk about somebody else. That's hellowship. So how do I know the difference? When you leave their presence, do you feel strengthened? Do you feel encouraged? Do you feel lifted up? Or when you leave their presence, do you feel like that you've just been in a mauling? Either the recipient of it or a participant in it. So it's important for us to make sure that we stay in fellowship, not hellowship. Romans 15, 31, 32, Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there so that I may come to you with joy by God's will. Now listen to this. And in your company be refreshed. We are called to encourage one another. We are called to lift one another up. We are called to strengthen one another. We're called to make people's days better. That's what we're called to do. When I see Tim, when he leaves, I want Tim to feel better because he saw a pastor that day. I don't want him to leave feeling used. I don't want him to leave feeling abused. I don't want him to leave feeling downtrodden, beaten, or depressed. No, I want him to know if I stop by the church and the pastor's around, I'm going to say hi to him. When I leave, I'm going to feel better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it should be that way in your house. It should be that way in your job. It should be that way when you're out there and you run into somebody at Walmart or down here at Kohl's or someplace like that or maybe somebody drives through and when you're doing your gas or something. You know something? You need to encourage one another, strengthen one another, lift one another up. You know why? Because when you do that, you're lifting yourself up. 
They're part of the body. Members in particular is what the Bible says. And we strengthen each other. And in the process of that, we're strengthening the whole. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 5 through 7. For when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest. But we were harassed at every turn with conflicts on the outside and fears within or fears on the inside. Verse 6, I love this. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. In other words, God used somebody to comfort us. All right, Steve and Tim, you guys are distracting me. You're sitting there texting each other back and forth and just a giggling big. Okay, I'm going to see those texts after church. You're going to be held accountable. Okay. Zinger. They mess with me too, guys, really. I wouldn't do that if you don't mess with me. But if you mess with me, it's, it's on. Okay. God who comforts the downcast covered us by the, uh, comforted us by the coming of Titus. God used a spirit-filled Christian to comfort them. And not only by his coming also, but by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Now, the Apostle Paul here in Corinthians was communicating to them that it felt good to know that they cared about him. Now, with that said, let me say this. One of the most effective tools that Satan uses against us is isolation. Isolation. If the devil can cut you off the pack and get you over in a corner somewhere feeling sorry for your situation, then he will be able to effectively rob you from fellowship. Let me give you an example. And, and we're closing. This is my last point, but we're closing. Let me give you an example. You get this bad report from the doctor. And the doctor says you're not going to make it. This past week we went down to see Bruce. Donna and I went down to see Bruce. Bruce is uh, Luke, my future, one of my future son-in-law's um, father. He had a motorcycle accident was in a coma for a really, really long time. They didn't think he was going to live. We went down there to Clearwater. When was it, Donna? Friday? It was Friday. We went to Clearwater down there. We walked into that room, and he had been up walking on the walker. His trach was gone. He saw us and said, Hi, Pastor. And he started talking. Six months later, he started talking. Now, the doctor's report when he had that accident was that he's probably not going to make it. We walked into that room and I laid my hands on him and I said, you will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. He told me Friday, he said, I'll be coming home before long and when I do, I'm coming to church. I said, and you will testify when you come to church. He said, yes, I will, Pastor. Thank you so much. Yes, I will. Yes, I will. Yes, I will. Angel's daddy, we thought was gone. Out of it. In a coma? Huh? Out of it completely. Totally gone. Okay? 
I saw yesterday, now we were there just a few days ago, but obviously there had been other people there praying too. But I saw yesterday, his eyes were open, he's sitting up in the hospital bed, he's talking to people. You know, here's the difference between fellowship. This is why you need fellowship. Because you need somebody speaking into your life something different than what your circumstances are saying. You need someone speaking the word of God into your life. You need some. You see, when we let the devil isolate us, then we believe anything he tells us because there's absolutely nothing to balance out the truth. Nothing to balance out the truth. But when we give ourselves over to fellowship, even if we're just sitting in the room and just listening to other people talk, when we give ourselves over to fellowship, then what happens is we're starting to hear the balance of it. We're starting to hear the words of life. We're starting to hear the words that can strengthen us and that can encourage us, and we can receive the infusion of the Word of God into our life. And that infusion of the Word of God can literally bring life back into us. So it's important for us to make sure that we have good fellowship. Then the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 that there remains a heavenly rest for the faithful child of God. Amen. Let's stand. Thank you for joining us on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at www.suncoast4, and that's the number 4jesus.tv. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669. Or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And remember, the Word will work if you work the Word.